I want to turn uh, to Luke 11. We're continuing our reading through Luke over the next several weeks. Um, but I want to turn to Luke 11. I also want to say this. I encourage uh, you to have a Bible. If you have a physical Bible, I encourage you to bring it. It helps to read it. For me, it helps to have it. I am a technology person, right? Everything I'm going to say right here is on, on an iPad. Um, I carry my phone, my calendar's on there. But for some reason, with a Bible, it helps to have a physical version. If you don't have that, I encourage you, first of all, you can just download it on your phone if you want to put it on your phone. It's free. It's free. I tell college students, like, you would download something that was free, right? Free. It's free. You can, it's free. You can download it. It's free. It costs nothing. Zero dollars. But if you would like a physical uh, Bible and you don't have one, and I say the same thing, I make the same promise to my college students. If you would like a physical one, we will buy, if Trinity won't buy you one, I will buy you one. We will give you a Bible. I want you to be able to have the word to read. So we're going to go to uh, Luke 11. This is the Gospel of Luke. Parts of this will probably be familiar, maybe not other parts. He was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, this is Jesus who was praying. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within. We've all been in that situation, I think, right? Where somebody knocks on the door and we think, please, anything other than this right now. (laughs) And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. As a father, I get it. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The great theologian, Garth Brooks, <laughs> says, I got friends, no. He, he says in a, in a song titled Unanswered Prayer, which by the way, I could not find on Spotify, could not find on Apple Music, but it is on YouTube, so search there. I'm sure it's illegally there, but it is on YouTube. It talks about this high school football game at his hometown that he took his wife to, okay? So he takes his wife to this high school football game in his hometown. This is the first verse of the song. And he runs into, to the football game, runs into an old high school flame. Game, flame, get it? He runs, he, he, he runs into an old high school flame and his wife and the 
old girlfriend meet, which I'm sure was not awkward at all, right? And they, they, they meet. And then he talks about how that moment took him back in time. And he thought to himself, all of those days that I prayed that she would be the one I would be with forever. And then the chorus starts, thank God for unanswered prayer. This is a trivial view of prayer, I think, uh, and, and, but it's, it's something that we can relate to a little bit. It's trivial in the sense that we often culturally want to take prayer and turn it into some magical device, right? We want to take prayer and we would just want whatever we say, whatever we do, we just know that God will provide it. Why? Because it says in Luke's gospel, ask and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. I had a, a former boss at, a, at the school I used to serve, and he was the senior pastor there, and he did an entire sermon series entitled God is Not a Blank. And, and a couple of them, like God is not a vending machine. Like I don't put something in and just hope to immediately get something out, which I think could possibly speak to our prayer life. But another one was God is not a magic genie, right? Where we just pray and all of a sudden that thing is given to us. The truth is, is that the scripture might point to that there, but we've experienced both sides of this, haven't we? We've experienced answered prayer, and we've experienced unanswered prayer. I'm a people pleaser, which means that if uh, I have to say something difficult to you, I'm probably going to spend two, three, four weeks thinking about it before I do it. I'm going to be nervous, and then after I say that very difficult thing to you, I'm going to be thinking about it for the next month. Like, I hope they still like me, you know? So when there are times in my life, and I work with 18 to 22-year-olds who have some growth to do, can we put it that way? And so I often have to have some difficult conversations with students. And every single time, I want to I want to give them the truth, you know, I want to be honest with them, but I also really want them to like me. It's something the Lord's working on in my heart, because I wish I could just be blunt and move on, but I can't. And so every single time I go into those conversations with prayer, oh God, please, 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 please let this go smoothly. Please let them receive this well. Please let them be kind. And the times, most of the time, when they receive it kindly, you know that burden just like off of you? That's, the, that's the, the lifting of the answered prayer, right? That time like, oh, I'd take it. Then there are also those other moments, aren't there? Where we feel like God might not have answered our prayer in the way that we want it to. This last week, we commemorated uh, the five-year uh, anniversary of my aunt's passing, my mom's sister. Her name is Julie. Uh, she was well-loved by our family, including her husband, um, and she got very sick very quickly. Um, a couple days before she passed, a couple days before she passed, uh, she had a kind of an evaluation with a doctor, and, um, you know, he basically just said there was so much unnatural material in her body because it's cancer. We think she died of glioblastoma, 
this cancer was just taking over her body quickly. I mean quickly, within days. She lived in Tennessee. We lived in Florida. And so just getting my mom up there to see her, she had been so sedated, my mom just flew up there to be able to say goodbye before they took her off life support. Those days, we prayed fervently. And then, two days later, that miracle that we were praying for didn't come. And she passed. And so I've been in that situation, as all of us have been, where we have prayed for something and it hasn't come. We might have prayed for that new job offer. We might have prayed for that grade. We might have prayed for uh, that new promotion. We might have prayed that that relationship that is so broken in our life needs to be fixed, and it hasn't been. In the United Methodist Church right now, you're probably aware of the infighting that's going on. We have prayed for unity for decades, decades now. We have prayed for unity within the United Methodist Church, but it is the case now that this is not going to be a united Methodist Church anymore. We're going to lose a lot of people. And that is hard. That hurts. So what do we do with that? When we read this text, it says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Like, what do we do with that? There are a couple things I think we can glean from this passage, and I want to take us back into here for a second. He says, I say to you, ask, and it's going to be given to you. Search, and you'll find. Knock in the door. Earlier it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. You know, I think the first thing is pretty easy to glean from this. We should just keep asking. We just need to persistently pray. In fact, the, the subtitle, which is not in the original text, by the way, but the subtitle that's in your scriptures over this section is called Perseverance in Prayer. So this is pretty easy to, to, to understand and hear. This is also something that's modeled by Jesus. Jesus, throughout his entire life, praise. He's praying the day before, the night before he's betrayed. He's praying at the betrayal. He prays before he calls his disciples. Before he starts his ministry, the gospels tell us, he goes into the wilderness to pray constantly, fervently. When he's in the midst of his ministry, he goes up on the mountaintop to retreat away from the ministry to pray. Those of you have, who have served in any church capacity understand that in completion, right? Because he is praying always. On the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, right? Father, it is finished. He prays continually. John Wesley, who's the founder of, of our faith tradition, said, said in a sermon, God's command to pray without ceasing, which is a reference to 1 Thessalonians, is founded on the necessity we have of his grace to preserve the life of God in the soul. 
In other words, if we want to preserve the soul, that necessity of praying, the command to pray must be there, which can no more subsist one moment without it. In other words, the soul cannot subsist without prayer. It cannot survive without prayer. Always, always, and he says, then the body can without air. In the same way that we need air to breathe, the soul, the soul needs prayer. Now, uh, sometimes students ask me, and you might be asking some of the same questions in your own life, and so I just want to encourage you for a second, that, that persistence of prayer might not always mean that knees bowed at the side of your bed with your hands clasped like we've seen uh, throughout the history. It might be that way. It might be at a dinner table. I hope that it is. It might be uh, every morning at 5 a.m. like it was for John Wesley where he would get up and read scripture and pray. It might be that, but it also might be, let's be honest, a really, really tough conversation with God while we're driving down the interstate, you know? It might be one of those moments where this is just on our mind, and maybe we didn't, you know, say officially, Lord, please hear me, amen, at the end, but we certainly had a conversation with God in that moment. We certainly poured out our hearts in that moment. Let me encourage you that that is a form of prayer, and so that's probably where we need to be, to persistently ask God But then what do we do with that unanswered prayer? Since we know that God's not a magic genie, maybe we should look at this second section here. This is in verse 11. Is there any among you who if your child asks for a fish will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg will give a scorpion if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit who is given to you? Notice what he gives here. It's not a fix to a certain situation. It's not even a miracle in the sense that something was healed that previously was not. What he gives here is the Holy Spirit. He says, if we ask, be given to us. It's interesting, historically, there were fish that kind of looked like snakes. And so some, some scholars think that that actually is the reference here. Like, they would ask for a fish, but it actually was a snake. They just, the child didn't realize it. There actually was a scorpion that would ball itself up in the shape of an egg. And so a child might see that egg and look for that egg and grab that egg, but it's really a scorpion. And what parent who knew the difference when a child did not would, would give them the wrong thing, right? Of course, all parents would give them the good thing even if they're pulling for the wrong thing, right? And so when we... Ask our Heavenly Father. Maybe it's not that fix that we were expecting. 
Maybe it's not that fix that we thought was the right thing. Maybe it's not the fix that we know, we know was the exact thing that we needed, but instead it's the work of the Holy Spirit in a much better way. He says, if a good, if a parent would do that, if you would do that to your child and you are evil, you are broken, he says, if you would do that, imagine what the father will do if you just ask and the door that'll be opened. In other words, it's not a fix to the situation that you're requesting. It's instead the invitation of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of that, which is really hard to deal with when it's the loss of somebody you love. Julie, my aunt, was a profound lover of Christian music, and she grew up in the heyday of it. In fact, um, right before she passed, they were moving to a new home, and she was kind of doing that thing that we do when we're moving to a new home. We get rid of the stuff we should have gotten rid of three moves ago, you know? Like, we get rid of the stuff that we should have gotten rid of 20 years ago. And she called me, and she said, hey, would you like a bunch of my LPs? And I had to ask her, because I was born in 1987, what an LP was. And she said, would you like one, or some of my old records? And I said, for sure. Are you kidding me? I'll take those. I'll put them in a frame. I've seen it on a magazine. And I'll put them on my wall. So she sends them to me, and I'm going through them. Some of the artists were ones I had heard of growing up. Some of them weren't. Uh, anybody heard of Michael W. Smith? Mm, yeah. My, my college students, not a single hand would be raised. There were a bunch of Michael W. Smith, but I tell you what there was. I'm pretty sure that she was an owner of every single Amy Grant LP in existence. I mean, every one of them. And she had them all in a box for me to take. So I start hanging them up in my office. I didn't really have any others at the time. I've since collected some, but I didn't have any others at the time. So I started hanging them up in my office. And my poor, you know, Gen Z 18-year-olds would walk in the room and they'd be like, who's Amy Grant? <laughs> you know? And um, you know what that, that gave me the opportunity to do, though? Was to tell them the story about Julie. Tell them the story about Amy. Tell them the story about the work of Christian music in my own life and the work of Christian music in our culture and the work of worship music in our culture. You may have heard this, but I hadn't until a, a former student of mine, one of those 18-year-olds who walked in and said, who's Amy Grant? Walked in, or texted me earlier this week, and she said, I don't know if you've heard, but Amy Grant's about to receive a Kennedy Honors. And the fact that she thought of me meant that that conversation about Amy lasted. It's exciting. Julie got to meet Amy Grant um, about six months before she passed, which was pretty awesome. We have the photo. But that conversation that I was able to have I attribute that to nothing else than the work of the Holy Spirit after her passing. You know, for sure, I prayed, please save Aunt Julie. 
But the truth is the spirit has moved within her and lived on with her even after her passing from this earth. And the spirit is moving within those stories, those records on the wall. And to this day, even though I'm in a different office now, I still have Amy Grant up on my wall. The open door that God promises us is the work of the Spirit. It comforts us, it guides us, it walks with us, it renews us, it transforms us. If only we would just continually, and as the scriptures say, persistently ask God to give it to us.